great to see you all. We are in Genesis, the book of Genesis, and we're in chapter 14, as Pastor Randy just said. So please turn your Bibles open to Genesis 14, and we have extra Bibles if you need one. Uh, Just please raise your hand, and if anybody needs a Bible, we'll put that in your hand right now. You can, all good, everybody, anybody need one? You've got some form of scripture? Good. All right. So uh, this morning is um, chapter 14, it follows chapter 13, and it makes sense that it follows chapter 13, as you'll see. Uh, The story here today is, I guess I would title today's message, Rescuing Lot. Abraham rescues Lot. Some of us need rescuing today from things that are holding us captive. Lot was taken captive, mostly because of some bad choices in his life. So it's going to get real adult-like and real personal today. Uh, The text will bring that out. And, um, And you'll see, I think, why we're taking communion today. We normally take communion the first Sunday of each month. But a guy named Melchizedek appears on the scene And he's a type of Christ. He's a type of Jesus Christ. We know that for a fact because of our study in Hebrews, chapter 7. We'll talk about Melchizedek a little bit. But he shows up with bread and wine, which is really, really significant. Uh, It's great, great hope for all of us. So let me just read through the chapter. I'll lightly make some comments along the way, and then we'll zero in on really the context of why Lot needed rescuing and how that all came about and the significance of it and the meaning of it for us today. So in Genesis 14, verse 1, it came to pass. Is that how your Bible begins right there in verse 14, verse 1? It came to pass. You know, I heard a sermon once a long time ago. I said, don't worry, it'll come to pass. (laughs) It's kind of a good thing to be reminded that this too shall pass, right? Anyway, it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar. Anybody remember Shinar? What happened at Shinar? Just a couple chapters back in chapter 11, Tower of Babel, guy named Nimrod, right? So here we go, king of Shinar, Ariach, king of Elisar, Ketelamur, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of people, or Goyim, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemember, no, missed it. Anyway, he's the king of Zeboim, and uh, the king of Bela, <laughs> Bela, that is Zoar. All these joined together in the valley of Siddim, parenthesis, that is the salt sea, otherwise known as the Dead Sea, lowest place on the planet Earth, by the way. Twelve years they served Ketelamur, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. So just a quick refresher. Uh, This area around the Jordan River was really lush and highly productive pasture land and 
uh, good for growing and crops. And so um, these five cities represented by Sodom, Gomorrah, Zeboim, and so on, they lived there and they were very prosperous. Well, these other four kings who came from the east, Elam and these other nations, they're modern-day Iran and Iraq, uh, some maybe from northern part of that country or part of that world. They came and they imposed a tribute on these wealthy people. And for 12 years, they had to pay tax to these four kings or else, right? So they got tired of that and they rebelled. And it says in verse 5, in the 14th year, Ketelamir and the kings that were with him came and attacked, and it names some different people groups, and verse 6, and it names some other people groups, the Horites in their mountain of Seir, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, Mishpat, (laughs) that is Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who dwelt in Hezazan Tamar. So you see, what they did, these four kings, is they, uh, rather than go right at these five and demand payment, they first uh, conquered all the surrounding areas and peoples so that they could establish themselves without threat of reprisal. They could establish their, their attack on the five kings. So it was pretty good strategy, actually. And um, they're undefeated, right? Ketelamer, who's kind of the lead dog here, he's, um, they're undefeated. Seems like everywhere they go, they win. And so now they're breathing down the neck of these five kings, uh, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and so on. Uh, verse 8, And the king of Sodom, in, uh, Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Siddim. So in that Jordan Valley region around the Dead Sea. And they staged war against Ketelamer and the other guys. Verse 10, now the valley of Siddim was uh, full of asphalt pits. Uh, your Bible might say bitumen or bitumen. I'm not really sure how you pronounce that. But uh, they're tar pits that evidently just kind of bubble up out of the earth and it would be worse than quicksand (laughs) if you fell into one of these things, right? It's this petroleum, oily, greasy, maybe hot substance that just sort of percolated out of the earth there south of the Dead Sea. And so that area was full of that. And so as the Four kings, led by Ketelamer, staged their attack against the five, four against five, right? Uh, It says in verse 10, looking back now at the middle of this verse 10, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. That's bad, okay? That's bad. The captain abandoned the ship when it was going down. The king of Sodom is a weakling. He's a wuss. He left. He didn't lay down his life for his friends. You can laugh. It's all right. I'm, I'm emphasizing that for a reason, and you'll see. They fled. They didn't lay down their life for their people. They're not good leaders. That's what a good leader does. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. 
A shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You're my sheep. Right? That's what a good leader does. You take the hit. They ran. Some fell there and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, all their provisions, and went their way. Here it is. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, his nephew, who lived in Sodom and his goods and departed. So if you remember from last week, chapter 13, we saw that Lot and Abram needed to separate because there wasn't enough pasturage for their respective flocks. And so Abram esteemed Lot higher than himself. He said, go ahead, man, you choose, go where you want to go. Lot lifted up his eyes. He saw this region and he moved towards Sodom and he set up his tent near Sodom. Now he's living in Sodom. So he went from just looking and being drawn to it for selfish reasons, right, uh, to, get, to get more. He just wanted more. He had a lot of flocks. He was a wealthy man. He just wanted more. I think it was Rockefeller who was asked, how much does it take to make a man happy? How much money? He goes, always a little more than you have. So that was Lot's choice. Now he's living in Sodom, and it cost him. Now he's taken captive. Now he's taken captive by this man, Catalamer, and his army of four other kings. And they haul him away. Verse 13, then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the oak trees of Mamre, the Amorite. Mamre is a man's name. And he has two brothers, Eschol and Aner. They were allies with Abram. Verse 14, now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he assembled his 318 trained servants who were born in his house, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. Dan is the name of a place. It's the place named after a man named Dan. All right? I know, it's confusing. All right? Uh, So we have a place named Dan, which is way up north on the border, northern border of Israel. So about 120 miles from the Dead Sea to Dan. Okay? So I'm just telling you that because Abram went to great lengths, at great expense, at great time, left his wife Sarah and all of his belongings, and he gathered up his men, and he armed them, and he took off in pursuit because his brother got captured. So that's interesting. So, by the way, this is the first mention of war in the Bible, (laughs) okay? Um, I think it was General Sherman addressing the, uh, he was a general of the Union Army, and after the Civil War was over, he was addressing the cadets at West Point, and he said, gentlemen, war is hell. (laughs) Well, that's not true. War is not hell. Hell is hell. Okay? Hell is the absence of God's light and grace and mercy towards sinners. That's the absence of that. That's hell. So where does war come from? It comes because there's a war in men's hearts that started at the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve pushed God and his goodness out of their lives. And since then, we've had war. 
very interesting that Abram did not involve himself in this international conflict until it was time to defend his own home and family. His brother Lot is in trouble. Now to that I will respond. And he took up arms and blood was shed. Now that's a man. Now that's a leader. By the way, Abram is about 80 years old. <laughs> okay? He died at 175, so he's middle age. All right? So he's still full of vim and vinegar, as my dad used to say. <laughs> I don't even know what that meant, but. <laughs> uh, so, verse 15, he pursues them as far as Dan. So, a 120 mile journey on foot with a, with a couple of swords and some knives and pitchforks and just whatever they could use as a weapon and up hills and all and they got and it says he divided his forces against them by night he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah which is north of Damascus by the way Damascus one of the oldest inhabited cities in the history of mankind is the first mention of Damascus in the Bible Okay, So he went from just the border, northern border, even further up to Damascus in Syria. Another about, I think, another 70 miles. So all told, round trip for Abram, it was at least a 400 plus mile journey as the crow flies. So verse 16, he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. So these are, uh, Lot was captured in Sodom. And so Lot and his family, but also women and children and others who lived in Sodom were rescued by Lot, or rescued by Abram. Abram rescued him at great cost, at great expense. He went to war to save his brother. There's the gospel right there, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ went to war to save all men. Not with carnal weapons of warfare, but with his own life. And he defeated sin, death, and the devil on the cross. At his own expense, at his own time, he laid down his life. And he rose again to justify all who will believe in him and have eternal life. Verse 17, and here's where it gets really cool and interesting. If it's not been interesting already, it says, The king of Sodom went out to meet him, Abram, at the valley of Shavah, which is the king's valley. I don't know exactly where that is. Some think that it's somewhere around the city of Jerusalem today. After his return from the defeat of Ketelamer and the kings who were with him. Is it just me, but it feels like there's no air moving? <laughs> feels a little stuffy. Just maybe tap that, Oz, if you would, please. Uh, make sure it's transitioned to cool mode. Yeah, okay. All right, so the king of Sodom meets Abram. This is the king of Sodom who ran for his life. And after Abram gets the victory and comes back with the people and all the belongings that were stolen, he wants back in the game. Now he comes back. 
Verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High, of God Most High. And Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, who is possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So Melchizedek speaks a blessing upon Abram, and he speaks a blessing to God. And we can see here that Melchizedek is, um, he's telling us that, uh, what's he say there? Blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. You, Abram, you went out in pursuit and you got the victory. God was with you. He's endorsing and he's saying, well done, Abram. God gave you the power and he gave you the the, the strategy and, and the courage and, and everything. And you and God work together. And together this victory has been won. Praise the Lord. In response to that, the very last sentence of verse 20, it says, he gave him a tithe of all. That is Abram took 10% of his booty. <laughs> and I'm saying that is in the spoils that he, I shouldn't have said it that way. <laughs> All right, he took 10% of his stuff and he gave it to God. He gave it to Melchizedek, but he was giving it to God through the priest Melchizedek. That's, can I just say, that's why we tithe, amen? I tithe to this church. Joni and I have income. Some comes from the church. Most of it comes from Joni and her little self-employment thing. But it's one of the most fun checks that we write. We don't write checks anymore, right? There's other means. We have an online giving, Givelify it's called. You can get to it on our website one of the fun, most fun things we do. It's like, it's, it's worship. It's like, God, you have provided. It's an act of gratitude as Eric was leading us in that great song. Right? Just thank you, Lord. All glory to you. All that I have. You're the possessor of everything. And my goodness, I have a home. I have food. I have all kinds of wonderful, I have a comfortable life and many friends and family. He gave him a tithe. Verse 21. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people. Take the stuff. Oh, now you're interested in the people. Oh, interesting. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men who went with me, Aner, Eskal, and Mamre, let them take their portion. So Abram was a good leader, and now he wants those who served with him to be recompensed for their hard work and for their bravery and for their stepping out in with him like that. So he's a good man. 
If I could just paraphrase, uh, if you think about what Abram said to the king of Sodom, he said, you and I have nothing in common, and I don't want your stuff. Zero. Okay? That's kind of what he said there. So this story, I'm going to focus on Lot, uh, because he gets rescued, and it's a really good thing. So let me remind you that Lot is a believer. We saw that last week. Peter refers to Lot in Peter's epistle, in Second Peter chapter 2, three times he said Lot was a righteous man. Lot was a righteous man. That means he was a true brother in the Lord. Okay? Rot, Lot, Rot. <laughs> Lot was a righteous man. <clears throat> but you would say that Lot was a carnal believer. He was a man who was attracted to the things that he could see. He was a worldly man. A worldly, carnal, but believer. In just New Testament language, he was a Christian, but he was a carnal Christian. He took a lot of pleasure from the enticements of this world. Okay? So that is Lot. All right? This basically, I just want to tell you, this basically is a true story. It is a true story. I said that wrong. This is a true story, but it's actually a perfect example of what it means for one who is spiritual to rescue one who has fallen into sin or who has made a mistake. And it's Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Okay? So I want to just say to you that Lot, our brother Lot, was a saved man who needed to be saved. And that sounds like contradictory language, but it's not. It's the language of sanctification. Paul said it like this to the Corinthians. The gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So a man or woman comes to faith in Jesus Christ. They become Saved. There's a regenerative process done by the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. They become a new creature in Christ. Guess what? If you're young in the faith, it may be, it is a, a sort of a shocking thing to realize, wow, I still have sinful desires. I thought I was conquered by Christ, and now life is going to be just one big, long, joyful thing. And you realize, no, I still want to do the stuff that got me in trouble and put me in jail in the first place. I want to go back to it. So we need a higher power, amen? And that higher power is the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of Jesus Christ Himself working on my heart and leading me into a, a life of greater holiness and righteousness and knowledge of God and worship of God. So Lot is a carnal man who needs to keep being saved. He's a believer who needs to submit to the process of sanctification. For the sake of the study, and it's going to get kind of hairy here, I just want to point out, how did Lot get in Sodom? 
Let me point that out to you. Go back to chapter 13 and we'll just refresh. It says in verse 10, please listen or read Genesis 13:10. Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah like the garden of the Lord. Verse 11, then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east. Verse 12, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities. Now we know those five cities of the plain. And he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom or toward Sodom or near Sodom. Verse 13, but the men of Sodom were sinful, wicked, sorry, were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Okay? Um, (laughs) We need to talk about this. Okay? So, um, let me point out to you, uh, first of all, as if you could put Ezekiel 16 on the screen. Uh, This is Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50. It says, This was the guilt of Sodom. She had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them. They did detestable things before me. Now, that's Ezekiel. Here in Genesis, it said they were exceedingly wicked and uh, sinful against the Lord. What was it that was detestable? Nobody wants to say it out loud. How about Jude 7? New Testament book just before Revelation. It says, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. Okay, what is unnatural desire? Go to Genesis chapter 19. And now we'll go inside Sodom and we'll see what it is. Genesis 19, 4 and 5. Now, actually, in the context here in, Gen- in Genesis 19, 4 and 5, we're actually inside Sodom, inside Lot's house in Sodom. And Lot is uh, hosting some unexpected guests, a couple of men, angels, actually. He's hosting these guests in his home. And he says in verse 4, now before they lay down, that is before Lot and it was time to go to sleep, it says the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded Lot's house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Now the New King James kind of smoothed that out a little bit, didn't it? (laughs) That we may know them carnally. In other words, bring out those two men. We want to have sex with them. That was men saying that to Lot, who was inside his house, speaking of the men inside of his house. Okay, so it's homosexuality. Which God said was exceedingly wicked and sinful before him. Which Jude said is unnatural desire. Which Ezekiel confirmed with his own words. Why is homosexuality detestable to God? Because we were made in his image, in his likeness. God bless you. 
Go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, in the creation story, on the sixth day, in verse 26, Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I don't think that the story that we read here in Genesis 14 and in the surrounding verses that I've used to demonstrate one of the things that was so problematic with Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities. It is bad, but I think the thing that makes it so bad in God's eyes is that people are getting ripped off. And instead of embracing God's plan for their sexuality and his plan for sex, they've chosen to go their own way based on their own feelings. The arbitrary subjective sense of feeling. And I think what makes it so bad is that God desires a human to flourish and to experience a great sense of wholeness in their mind, in their mental health, in their social well-being, in, in all. And it comes from observing God and taking our own impulses captive in submission to the truth of creation. Same-sex attraction, I've had it as a young man was in the Navy actually (laughs) working in the mess hall because everybody had to kind of do their time I was one of the young kids on the ship and didn't matter what your rank I was enlisted but it didn't matter what your job title was it was just part of your initiation into shipboard life you had to work you had to wash dishes (laughs) scrape the garbage off the plates And it was filthy and stinky and hot, and some guy made an advance on me. One of the cooks. And I'm 18 years old. And I'm full of desire. And my first reaction was, hmm, I wonder what that would be like. It's what we do with the attraction. That becomes the issue. Lot lifted up his eyes and he looked. And I suggest to you, it might sound weird, but he was same-sex attracted. (laughs) 
I don't mean that maybe in the sense that he literally a desire to be with someone of the other sex, but he was he w seemed to be have been aware that this was a lifestyle, and so he was willing to engage with it unsuccessfully. Rosaria Butterfield says this, we reflect the image of God not by inventing what he wants for us based on our feelings, but by looking to God through his word and growing in the knowledge of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. Our authenticity comes from God, not our feelings. When we dispense with the wisdom of creation, we abandon the standards of God's intention for men and women, the purpose of masculinity and femininity, femininity, in the order that God set for families and civilization. And then she says this, and I'll repeat it twice. She said, our nation's reigning idol, a formidable monolith, and monolith, by the way, means large and powerful. Our nation's reigning idol, a formidable monolith, is represented by the letters LBGTQ and the plus symbol. So, welcome to church. And I feel like I've stepped into it here. <laughs> but the text brings it out. And I think it's worth talking about. And I want to just point out a couple of things to you from digesting this chapter and all that's going on here. A couple of interesting thoughts. First of all, the king of Sodom, his name is Bira. His name means evil. The king of Gomorrah, his name is Bersha. His name means wicked. Isn't that interesting? Melchizedek, his name means king of righteousness. And he's the king of Salem, which, is, which means peace. And it tells us that he is the priest of the Most High God. And so we remember from Hebrews that Melchizedek is, he resembles Jesus Christ. In fact, he resembles him so closely that some people think that it might even be Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem because he's eternal, right? He's the creator. So he could manifest himself. And in fact, he did at various times in the Old Testament before he was humbled and born as a baby this Melchizedek so closely resembles he's the king of righteousness. Jesus is the king of righteousness. He gives righteousness. There's none righteous. No, not, not one, but, but God is righteous. And he's the king of Salem. And with his righteousness comes peace. He loves to give peace. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto thee. John 14. And he's a priest of the most high God. Jesus is our high priest. And the writer of Hebrews even takes it a step further. He goes, you know, when you read the context, like we just did, he goes, Melchizedek comes out of nowhere. 
There's no mention of his genealogy, his mom, his dad, or even before them. He just shows up, and there's no mention of him even going anywhere. He just sort of has this e- eternal aspect about his, the way he's presented to us in the text. In fact, there's so much of his characteristics, righteousness and peace, and king, and king, and priest, and there's so much about his similar qualifications that he has almost an eternal nature about him that he is very clearly a type of Jesus Christ. So I'm taking us back to the text here in John 14, verses 17 to 24, and we have this amazing meeting between Abram and Lot, who's somewhere in the crowd behind him, maybe right next to him, probably it's his brother. It's his nephew, but he's his brother. He's a faithful believer who needed to be saved as a believer. So you have Abram and Lot, and then you have Melchizedek, who's a king, and you have King Sodom, who means evil. His name, Bera, means evil. Isn't that interesting? And all the, and so there you go. There's a very critical moment right here. Is Lot, who's just been rescued out of captivity, Can you imagine, brothers and sisters, just think about what it might have... I've never been taken captive. I don't even know what that means. I mean, I know what it means, but I have no context with that. Does anybody? Maybe some of you, unfortunately, knows what that means. But to have somebody forcibly come and take over your land and your property and you. The prospect, the future for Lot was very dismal, except here comes Abram, was his 318. It's almost like Gideon, (laughs) who conquered those vast armies with his small group of 300 men. And the attack was very similar. I just think it's a beautiful picture of the flesh and the spirit. And that Abram comes and almost miraculously releases Lot out of the, the entrapment that he had found himself in. Because it started with a look. And then after the look, he got living in. And then he became captive. And that's exactly what happens when he yields to our flesh. He made provision for his flesh. What's the famous proverb? Can a man walk on coals and not burn his feet? Of course not. You know why Solomon said that? He goes, well then, if you go in and have sex with your neighbor's wife, you think you're not going to get burned? But we go insane when we get filled with lustful, sexual, lustful desire, and we think, I can walk on those coals. They're not going to hurt me. It's anything but that. I got other coals burning. (laughs) It's insanity. That was taken captive because he made provision for his flesh because he gave it a little look. And it took someone who came in the power of the Spirit with the, the, the guidance and the blessing of God to deliver. And he rescued him. Some of us need rescuing this morning. That's why I want to take communion. We're going to to zero zero right in on that issue of sexual lust or promiscuity or failure. And we're going to find that our Melchizedek is standing here with bread and wine. These are the elements that show you are forgiven. 
you can be forgiven for your homosexual behavior. You can be forgiven. Everything can be forgiven through repentance and faith. There's a very critical moment. Melchizedek, king of Sodom. What are you going to do, Lot? You've just been released, my friend. And here is Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of peace, priest. He's king. And he's offering bread and wine. Abram just, he's just, he's a brother. He's down on his knees, so to speak. He's like, here, man, it's yours. It's a very critical moment. What will happen? I want to point out a really, really interesting verse. And it's in Matthew, and it's something Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 11. Verse 23, Jesus said, and you, Capernaum, will, be, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus knew what could have been. Isn't that fascinating, my friends? If the people in Sodom had seen a demonstration of, of God's power, which they actually just have through Abram, then if they had seen even a bit more than that, Jesus said they would have repented and left homosexuality. And then they would have entered into what? What God had designed and they would have flourished and had a, had a much more beautiful life for themselves in wholeness. So that verse, Matthew eleven twenty three, 23, that tells me a few things. It tells me that Jesus knew the hearts of the people of Sodom. He knew the hearts of the people of Sodom. And it tells me then, if I take that a step further, that Jesus was aware that somewhere in the heart of those people who were caught in sexual deviancy, there was some gnawing sense of conscience that said, I think this is wrong. In fact, I know I have watched the testimony of a woman who had lived with her partner. Maybe they were married. And the Holy Spirit began to work on this woman. And she said, we were laying in bed one night and I couldn't sleep. And I didn't know that my long-term lesbian partner was still awake. But I rolled over and I said, do you think we're doing the right thing? And she said... I don't think so. That's what her partner said. They both had this sense of, I don't think this is right. That's a gift. That is grace working on their lives. And what Jesus just said, if the mighty works had been done, they would have repented. Their judgment would not have come. It tells me that he knew their heart and he knew that at that moment when they're standing there, that if they had just leaned in toward the Lord, they could have been saved. It also tells me that homosexuality can be forgiven when it's repented of. A 
It also tells us that the best thing we can do for our homosexuals friends is to tell them the truth about God and his word and then live the truth. Tell them the truth in love and then live it out. That's what it tells me. Because the one who was living in Sodom was a believer named Lot who lost his testimony. I don't know if he ever built an altar. I don't know if he ever told them the truth. They got to the point where they mocked him. So that's what it tells me. The moment makes it clear that there must be a change of heart. Lot got rescued. He went back to Sodom. He actually married a woman there. He had some kids, set up camp. And it actually got worse. It didn't get better. Without new birth and the power of the Holy Spirit, right, our determination to stop doing the things that trip us up is kind of like just a New Year's resolution. How long does that last? Right? No matter how determined you are to lose five pounds <laughs> or 15 or whatever, right? From this day forward, right? So you gorge on New Year's Eve <laughs> and then you start New Year's and by the end of the month you get on the scales and it's like, I can't do it. And that's a good place to be. When we get past just those silly things like weight and so on, and we go, I need help. I need help. The heart is deceitful. Let me tell you a story. This is a true story. It's a true story by a guy named Malcolm Muggeridge. And this is what he says. And the reason I'm telling you this story is I'm telling you the story that you need a God who can conquer your fleshly desires. Because our heart is so, you cannot trust your impulses. No matter how authenticated you feel by the feeling and the desire. I was born this way. No, you weren't. You were born with desire for sex, but it's gone into a bad channel of interest if we would take and look at what God says. This is his design, which is always good. Muggeridge says this. While working as a journalist in India, he left his residence one evening to go to a nearby river for a swim. As Malcolm Muggeridge entered the water across the river, he saw an Indian woman. This is in the subcontinent of India. He saw an Indian woman from the nearby village who had come to have her bath. Muggeridge impulsively felt the allurement of the moment, and temptation stormed into his mind. He had lived with this kind of struggle for years, but had somehow fought it off in honor of his commitment to his wife, Kitty. On this occasion, however, he wondered if he could cross the line of marital fidelity. He struggled for just a moment and then swam furiously toward the woman, literally trying to outdistance his conscience. His mind fed him the fantasy that stolen waters would be sweet. And he swam the harder for it. 
Now, he was just two or three feet away from her, and as he emerged from the water, any emotion that may have gripped him paled into insignificance when compared with the devastation that shattered him as he looked at her. He quotes, She was old and hideous, and her skin was wrinkled, and worst of all, she was a leper. This creature grinned at me, showing a toothless mask. The experience left Muggeridge trembling and muttering under his breath, what a dirty, retorous, lecherous woman. But then the shock of it all dawned upon him. It was not the woman that was lecherous. It was his own heart. You know the first time I ever heard that story? It was from Ravi Zacharias. And if you're not familiar with him, you should be familiar with him. He was a luminary in the Christian circles. He was one of the brightest lights of Christian apologetics, traveling the country, the world, traveling the world and hiding from everybody his own lecherous heart because he had a few side gigs where he would go and quietly have a massage. Today at this moment, I want all of us to confront this issue of sex and sexuality. It started with a look it started with a look. Porn's not respective of age. It used to be just a man problem. It's not a man problem anymore. You know the average age the person sees, first person sees their first porn? Twelve. Used to be you had to buy it. Today it's free. It's a triple A, right? That's what they say. It's anonymous, it's affordable, it's accessible. You don't need to swipe a credit card anymore. It's free. It started with a look. And then he ended up a captive. You're going to be a slave to the one you yield yourself servant to obey. Whether to God or to your own flesh. You will become that slave. Today, it may not be a literal porn site. I know that. Some of you aren't on Pornhub or some of those other things. It comes to us. Music videos, social media platforms. You're looking at body parts. Maybe they don't have clothes on them. Maybe they do. But there's so much there. And some of the suggestiveness in the music videos. <laughs> I know. You're all going, Pastor Scott, how do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not some secret user, okay? I read about these things, but I've seen enough. We've all seen enough to know what's possible. Maybe you, some of you more than others. Today, the Lord is standing. You can be forgiven. Today, there's a new start. Our Melchizedek is standing here today. And these, this juice and this cracker are the emblems of forgiveness and righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. 
the social media platforms, the movies, the stuff that's constantly streaming. Isn't it interesting? It used to be we'd blush. We don't blush anymore. It's just normal. It used to be we'd hide it. We didn't want anybody to see. Now we just do it all the time. We're riding on the bus, walking along, watching, streaming, all this stuff's going across our eyeballs. I want you to deal with that today. Just confess it to the Lord. Look, if you're same-sex attracted or confused about your sexuality, additionally, I want you to believe in the created design that God has for you. I've seen, and some of you may know others, I'm sure you do, who have been honest enough to say that I am attracted to people of the same sex. I can think of several people who have come to this church, and God bless them, they've been bold enough. One young person came to me a few years ago, and one of the first things he said, hi, my name is, and he introduces, and about the second time he came, he goes, hey, I just want you to know, when I come to church, I'm actually looking at the others of my same sex that interests me. I was like, God bless you, my brother. You've said that out loud. This is good. Another young lady who unfortunately got in the hands of some people who were attending our church some years ago, and they did not handle it well, and she left the church crying because they were very unwise in the way they spoke to her. And I did something I almost never do. I called her up and I said, can you meet me for coffee over at the Ithaca Bakery? I don't meet with ladies personally without Joni or somebody else being there. But the situation was so critical. I knew what the conversation had overheard it. And I knew the people that were talking. I'm like, oh no, it was, this is going to not go well. And sure enough, she, was, she needed to know this desire that you have. You're wrestling with it. That's good. They were, she was being told otherwise. Thankfully, by the way, Joni was able to get there within a few minutes and we all sat together. And that lady is walking with the Lord today, living in California, a single woman in her late 30s or 40s, living for the Lord, a humble, simple life. Again, Butterfield, homosexual orientation is a Freudian invention. It's an unbiblical category of personhood, an antagonist to the creation order because it redefines sinful desires as something that defines who you are rather than how you feel. Just say, Lord, this is me. This is me. I have, just say it. This communion this morning is, is pinpointed on your own issues with sex and sexuality. And if you're willing, just you and the Lord, nobody's going to ask you to speak out loud. You just talk to him and say, I need you every hour. I am prone to wander this afternoon in spite of what the chapter 14 in Genesis says. And praise the Lord, if you're free from porn addiction or sex addiction or sex confusion, if you're free, I know you know somebody who's not. We all know people who are not. And you can pray for them.
It's war. It was war. It's a war for truth about the power of the cross. That Christ sets men free from being slaves to sin. And gives them the ability to to flourish in life. So you can pray for those who you know. All right? That's what this communion is about this morning. So worship team, if you would please come up. And I've asked uh, Eric and the team to just give us some beautiful music while we come up and get communion together. Um, So the way we will do it is I'll just ask you to all please stand and uh, just walk up. Just walk up. Some of you are right here. You can just walk up, get your juice and cracker, and then go back around to the outside, back to your seat, and just sit, stand. It's, it's your time, okay, for a little bit of time. Once we've all gotten our juice and cracker, I want you to remember, we're just pinpointing. We're, we're dealing with the issues of sex and sexuality because it is the reigning idol in this country, and it requires a bold sense of truth from God's word. So come clean. Pray for those who need prayer. All right? Why don't you go ahead, Mac and Sherry, if you would just begin. Mac, you can just, yeah.
just take another half minute or so here. spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Lord, I see you showing up on this scene, Melchizedek-like. You just show up, just appear right at that moment, offering hope. Thank you, Lord, that you came to rescue, and that you do give deliverance. You do. I thank you, Lord, that you set the captives free. If the Son set you free, you are free indeed. The truth will make you free. Thank you, Lord. This is holy ground. Lord, we know that. You know the heart of all men. You've heard the prayers. You know the the conversations that have gone on between you and your people here in this room this morning. Great God, I pray you'd be glorified and worshipped. I pray there'd be significant, tangible, palpable change. Change in the sense that we would be like an Abraham. We would just give not our stuff but our life and when the next pitfall comes our way we'll cry out to you we'll gain confidence we'll gain a greater sense of trust and a greater knowledge of who you are one victory after another after another day by day until we look and act more like you We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. You fought for us. You bled and died. You took the punishment for all of our bad. And you rose to give us your good. We thank you, Lord. Let's partake of the cracker and the juice together. step aside and uh, let the worship team lead us in song, and I'll be singing with you, but I just want to say that um, if you'd like to talk, um, Pastor Randy, myself, Eric, men, we're happy to talk with you. Ladies, maybe you'd prefer to talk with a woman, I understand. Um, Tinsu, Joni, Mary, there's others that are here. healed. Scripture tells us if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So brothers and sisters, as you stand here right now, having confessed your sins, you are set free. So for that, I think we can sing a little bit of hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Your love makes me sing hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Your let's sing that again. Hallelujah, hallelujah, oh hallelujah. Your love makes me sing hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Your love makes me sing. Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Your love is a mountain, firm beneath my feet. Your love is a mystery, how you gently lift me when I am surrounded. Your love carries me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, oh hallelujah. Your love makes me sing. Hallelujah, hallelujah, oh hallelujah, your love makes me see. Your love is surprising, I can feel it rising, all the joy that's growing deep inside of me. Every time I see you, all your goodness shines through, I can feel this God song rising up in Sisters, we'll see you next week uh, back Amen. in Genesis 15.